Thank you for joining yeah. us. You gonna say anything else, Winnie? <laughs> what do you think about Crash, Winnie? <laughs> Which one's your favorite? <laughs> three? Two or three. Or one. Three, two, or one. Winnie. She really can't decide. <laughs> she loves them all. Welcome to the second episode of Screen Looking, a podcast where close friends take a closer look at some of their favorite video games. I'm your host, Andrew Kuhar. Thanks for joining us. The mid-90s were formative for video games. 3D graphics made it to mainstream audiences, asking gamers to forget everything they knew about their favorite franchises, how they felt, how they looked, and the challenges that they presented to them. If you stepped foot into a Toys R Us at the time, you might have thought that you stumbled into an arcade instead. Several gaming consoles would be running side by side with the volume at full blast, you'd hear buttons being hammered, and you'd see a row of kids my age getting in a line to try it for themselves. This is one of the most vivid memories that I have as a kid, of when video games kind of blew my mind, and it's one that the creators had themselves at E3 around the same time, of seeing Crash Bandicoot for the Sony PlayStation being played right next to Mario 64 for the Nintendo 64. The console wars aren't as vocal as they were back then, but they were real and that was living proof. But Mario 64 and Crash Bandicoot went head-to-head in more ways than just kiosks at the toy store or debates at recess. Crash Bandicoot more or less became PlayStation's mascot, leveraged to set a new tone for how and who games appeal to. And although Crash never speaks in Naughty Dog's original trilogy, he had quite a bit to say in the commercials promoting himself. Hey, plumber boy, mustache man, your worst nightmare has arrived. Pack up your stuff. I got a little surprise for you here. Check it out. What do you think about that? We got real time, 3D, lush organic environments. How's that make you feel, buddy? Feel a little like your days are numbered? I'm going to have to ask you to leave. You're hurting my elbow. Crash's attitude and edge became synonymous with the way Sony wanted to present itself and its catalog to the world. Games that had character, style, and a lushness that no one else in the industry could match. Crash checked off all of those boxes. That same irreverent man in Crash suit marketing campaign, though, was resurfaced for the trilogy's remake actually last year by Vicarious Visions and Activision, and in an ironic twist of fate, it's now available for the Nintendo Switch as of this weekend. But even Vicarious Visions are careful to use that term, remake. They prefer calling it a remaster plus, as a way to distinguish it as a faithful recreation versus a creative reimagining. For instance, the Resident Evil 1 remake would be considered a faithful recreation brought up to today's standards, whereas the Resident Evil 2 remake that's coming up, that would be seen as all of that, but also a creative reimagining. So, not only are we going to unpack the artistic decisions made by Vicarious Visions in their rebuilt Crash Bandicoot trilogy, but we're also going to discuss a little more about the whole nature of reissued media and how Crash fits into all of that. So, by the time you're listening to this episode, it has technically been a full calendar year since the Crash Bandicoot remake came out, and here to talk about it with me is my partner in crime, partner in life, and the only other person I know who uh, memorized pretty much everything about the Crash Bandicoot trilogy, and that's Hilary Beauvais. Why don't you say hi? Hi. Hey. Uh, so, 
why don't you get us started by just going through how Crash was a part of your childhood like it was mine? Like, what's maybe your most fond memory of, of playing the series growing up? Um, well, the memory that sticks out to me the most is that when, um, when I was younger, I don't really remember what age I would have been, but my mom had bought me Crash 1, mm-hmm. and she would even play it with me sometimes. But I remember before we were going to go to Disney World, which I was really excited about, we had to wake up really early to get on the plane and we were rushing around getting ready. But instead, uh, instead of me helping my mom rush around and get ready, I was sitting playing The Great Gate. Uh, oh, man. That's, like, that's a hard one. Over and over uh-huh. until we left. Like, uh, literally until the minute we left, I was playing it. And I remember my mom being like, turn it off now. And I was like, but I barely even got up the, like, initial jumps. Yeah, the first section. The first section yeah. is so hard, especially as a kid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, many fond memories. And I remember playing Crash 3 for the first time at my mom's friend's house. And I remember playing against tiny tiger and being like whoa this is insane mm-hmm. so those are my two fondest memories yeah I think. but they're probably burned into your brain though by now i think revisiting them with the remake was like not even just going down memory lane i mean we've replayed them quite a bit since yes as adults course. like we've gone through crash one two and three just out of boredom set up the old ps1 and uh just try and play through them each in the night kind of thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is really fun right so, uh, yeah, so I'll admit a year ago, we, we tried to do it. We tried to do this podcast. Didn't really work out. It got really long. It was a little too gushing, Probably. a little too like high on the release, maybe. Yeah, um, it was maybe almost two hours long. <laughs> We're not going to try to do that again. It was, it was so long, I was intimidated by editing it. Right. Uh, so just figured, you know what, let's, let's just sit on this and then... Before we knew it, it's been a year since the remake came out, and it felt like we're starting to revisit the game. We pretty much, I don't know what the word is, not burnout, but we just gorged on it. Yeah, I mean, we played it constantly for months, and then the past few months we've taken a break with it because we didn't want to keep burning ourselves out. Yeah, it's always, like I was saying, when we'd revisit the originals, the nice thing was it'd be this, hey, you know what I really have a craving for right now? Crash. Right. Go back into Crash, and... We didn't want to. We figured the remake would take the place of that because now it's on the PS4. It's right, right. Easier to access. It's it looks really nice and maybe it's almost too easy to access. Yeah, maybe we just default to I it. I think I think putting the discs in for the old PS1 and hooking up the old yellow, red, and white cables was enough work that it's. Let's stick to one crash. We'd pick one of the three. Right, and then we'd. Uh, We'd we'd uh we'd go deep into that and then take a break and come back. But. You really have to commit to the craving because you have to set up the whole thing. Yes, and you have to decide which memory card you're going to use because what kept save them. is on what. Right, exactly. Right. Do we want to start a new save? That kind yeah. Of thing. So it just feels like okay, they're re-releasing this game on all these other systems. That's nice. It's been a year. We have the hindsight from the original series. We have the hindsight for the remake, and maybe we can look at this with a more healthy opinion or maybe just yeah. we can just get get down into it just summarize things and a little just bit of, of perspective yeah yeah for sure that's always helpful so um yeah so this episode's got a little bit of a uh, extra secret sauce special sauce because not only are hillary and i in the same exact room and uh, we're yes. very co- close both figuratively and literally <laughs> uh but 
yeah, so if you listen to our first episode, uh, you may have heard at the tag at the end that I mentioned this Engadget article. So not only did the game come out a year ago, but last summer I also had the opportunity to interview the developers of the remake at Vicarious Visions. I interviewed a few of the design and art leads and just got to hear all about their process to making the game, what drove them, what they kept, what they changed, why they did all those things, etc. And you can read it at Engadget. It's called Remaking of Crash Bandicoot. If you go there and just search for Crash Bandicoot, search for my name, uh, it should come up as one of the first uh, first results. And if yeah, if you want to learn more about the real nitty gritty of what it took, uh, there, it's a really good outline, I think, of their thought process. And I think the takeaway that I got from that was just this is a really passionate team. They really cared about what they were making. And if you go read the article, I think you'll uh, you'll see that that's evident. So got some little extra insights maybe that I might cite from time to time as we talk about the game. Yeah. Um, but as someone who just read the interview uh, on your own, was there anything that you learned from it that uh, you maybe were in- most interested in? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that always I remember about the article and I still think about is that there were five levels that while they mm. were making the game, they could not find the geometry for. So they had to recreate those five from scratch, but all the other ones, they had the original level mm-hmm. geometry. So I'm always kind of thinking about like, which ones were those five? Cause they never really revealed that. Yeah. We still to this day can't quite put our finger on which ones they are. We suspect it might be the ones where you're riding on animals or maybe on the, some of the vehicles, but it's, it would probably be from Crash 1. Yeah, it's really hard to tell. And, yeah. Uh, maybe that speaks to their attention to detail. Right, like it's tell. nearly impossible to mm-hmm. even figure it out. Um, but yeah, definitely a huge attention to detail, but I like that weird little piece of trivia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that I really liked about the article, they you know didn't want to just do a simple touch-up of the game that would have been one way to remake it but they really wanted to they decided really early on obviously to completely recreate it and use all the contemporary technology that we have and all the game advancements that have happened since the original i think the amount of love they put into that really shows mm-hmm. um they had a lot of nice quotes in your article about just how much they appreciate the old games but how much they really just wanted to not improve upon them and change them in any right. way, but improve upon them just to bring them to today's standards. Yeah. That gets at something that, uh, you know, we wanted to talk about here on the front of the episode before we, that's a little bit of a tease of maybe what we're going to get into when we talk about the remake, but we want to revisit the originals briefly just to maybe talk about what were our expectations going into it? Uh, what did we think of what was so great about them? Um, you know, what made us feel like this game deserved a remake. But I think that point that you bring up is there's very fine sort of gray distinctions between what what dictates that a game is either just a touch-up, like you said, or a remake or a remaster or a reissuing. And I feel like because of your love for movies, it might be a good analog to maybe educate the audience who isn't totally familiar with what the conversation around game remakes and game preservation is. Um, so do you think you could speak to that real quick and just yeah. talk about like why trying to set context for like what, where does this remake fit within the context of video games as a, like a pop culture form of media? Yeah. Well, so I feel like there, I mean, there's definitely differences and I 
kind of look for, I'd like some more insight from you on it, but there, I love this podcast called 80s All Over that mm-hmm. I listen to every week. It's probably one of my faves. Definitely one of my faves. They always, so they're watching movies from the 80s. They're rewatching every major movie, but they always have trouble finding certain movies, which I always find fascinating. So it's like these movies that were huge back in the day, they can't even find a copy of. It's like nearly impossible to find. And, you know, some of that is like, you can't have every movie on every streaming service. But even so far as like, they can't find a DVD copy of it. Maybe it was never released on DVD. So um, I looked up a little bit more about film restoration because, you know, there's things like the Criterion Collection where they... I mean, a lot of what Criterion Collection releases, they used to only release really big titles, and that was kind of their thing. But then they started moving into more obscure films, films that kind of have fallen by the wayside, and they will do restoration on if necessary, whether it's audio or visual or just doing a completely new print of the Mm -hmm. negative which I feel like is different from how a game would be restored because it's not like you can really do that. It's That would just be a port. Like if you basically took a game from PS1 and just ported it to PS4, that would be the exact same thing. But these kind of remakes like Crash are like, well, we want people to play this still, but we need to bring it up to today's standards. Yeah, and I think the, the distinctions you're drawing in movies where sometimes they... Sometimes movies are completely remade. We're seeing that with Suspiria. That's a movie. Oh, sure, yeah. But I just think, you know, movies and games both span this range of to what degree is this thing brought into a new era or a new generation of technology or to what degree is is the fidelity increased? You know, uh, sometimes it could just be the aspect ratio is bumped up and they re-exported the movie or even the game in that case. Right. And I, I think movies are just maybe a more relatable... Uh, place to start because games get really complicated like for instance movies come out on vhs and then everyone stops having vhs players right and then so they then have they to... have to move to dvd mm-hmm. i had this like statistic that i thought was kind of interesting and i wonder how we can relate it to gaming because so i was reading on the like wikipedia pages about film preservation and you know the different ways that it happens and this statistic kind of flew my mind 90% of all American silent films made before 1929 and 50% of American sound films made before 1950 are lost films. Really? So, yeah, so 90% of all silent films before 1929 are lost and we will mm. absolutely never see them. Wow. And so that kind of and that's because either the negatives decayed or you know the film just got destroyed for a number of reasons um, or it's absolutely unrestorable which is super fascinating to me. And that makes me think, are there a ton of games on really old obscure systems that like no one's ever going to think about again? And it's just fallen by the wayside and like it could be lost. Yeah. So that definitely happens with games. I can't think of any super iconic examples off the top of my head, but I think that's where games get complicated because say you have, a DVD, you can still pump that DVD into a PS4 or to a MacBook and you'll still get to play that thing. Whereas I can't, I can only pop a PlayStation 1 disc into, into a, play- a PlayStation 1, one right. or a PlayStation 2. And that's where maybe the term, you, if you've heard of it, backwards compatibility comes from. And I guess what you know we're really getting at here is that 
as we transition from one console to another, from one era of personal computers to another, right. and now into mobile phones, there's all these different form factors and power and capabilities and operating systems and all these things interlock together to sort of dictate whether or not your game is going to even run on the hardware. Right. So gaming preservation becomes this really tricky thing where it's sort of this informal charge that has been thrust upon itself by gaming communities, fans, developers, whether they work together to sort of decide like what's the demand there for. Yeah. And the previous episode, the Resident Evil 2 remake that's coming out is a great example of fans really asking for a whole decade basically for that to happen because the only other version of it is the super old version on the PS1, which looks so old at this point. And they've put out versions that are essentially what you said, ports. They've emulated it. They've maybe re-exported it and maybe made it available on like a digital store somewhere, like on the PlayStation store. Right. But it's not quite the same feeling as like, oh, this movie that was already completely done and ready to go just got enhanced. And now I can see it in the way that maybe people experienced it when they first saw it right exactly and with with gaming it feel like it gets so much more complicated almost because at mm-hmm. least with movies there's really only one way you're going to watch movies mm-hmm. with games there's all these different systems for controls all these different systems like the the different consoles that they mm-hmm. were originally on it's like there's so much more to think about yeah um yeah i think yeah i'm trying so to go back to your question real quick before we jump more into Crash specifically, I think maybe one funny example that I can think of is there's this story about this old E.T. game that was available for the Atari. Oh, And I remember the game was so critically panned and they made so few copies of it and it was such a disaster that they decided to take all the remaining copies and just dump them in a landfill in the desert. Like they made like a grave for all these cartridges and just dumped them. And at the time, it's like, no one's going to play this. This game isn't good. No one wants it. Let's just get rid of them. But as people heard about the lore of the story, people today were obviously like, oh, I need to play that I now. Need to and check this, it out. this is a relic from Gaming Pass that we need to preserve for whatever rational, irrational reasons. And I actually think they did dig it up and they were selling, like, or somehow put them in a museum or sold the copies or auctioned them off. But that's a whole story. So if you're curious about it, search maybe E.T. Desert Grave video <laughs> game. Uh, but that's that's like a really weird situation where maybe no one really wanted that game to get remade or something. But there's still this act of making sure that when a game is made and it is released, that it has some chance of making it into the next era so that these things basically don't just die on the vine of the last generation of technology. Right. Whether and, it's good or not, it's part of gaming history. Yeah. And I'm sure, like you said, there's I'm sure there's countless games that just, at some point, no one thought to give it the TLC it needed so that it could make the jump from then to now. And some of them, you really need the old technology to play it on. There are some games that are never patched and they won't work on the new Windows right. or the new iOS. I know this personally because when I worked on mobile games in college... Uh, there's, you know, they were for iOS and they were made for the first version of iOS one. If you can imagine that with all the glossy buttons and everything. And eventually Apple just decides, you know what, if you're not on the latest operating system, we're not going to make this game. This game will no longer be compatible. And that's why you need all this developer support. So all that being said, where Crash fits in all this, it's another one of those games that never for, even though it sold over 40 million copies, from when it came out to when the trilogy was over that Naughty Dog started, it 
it never got that HD remaster that we see very often today where you'll see, you know, a new console comes out. So we're just going to essentially do what you were suggesting, which is port it. We're going to basically make sure all the textures and audio files are at a higher fidelity. Right, it's like slightly upgraded. Yeah. So in that sense, if that is more of a a loving restoration or, or an upgrade, um, maybe they'll throw in some bonus content, but by no means is it we built it from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so where Crash fits into this, it's just, you know, we can talk about the originals now, I think. You know, what was it about them that made them great? And what was it that we wanted to see Like as years went on, 20 plus years went on, and we felt this is a game that is begging to be remade. Yeah. So many people love it. We go back to it all the time. Right. We still play it. Yeah. So what was it about? If like if you were to tell a friend, maybe when you were a kid or today, this is a great game. This is why you should play it. Mm. What What do you think you would like? What are some ways you would describe it? Uh, I think I would talk about how the art is incredibly unique. I don't think there's ever been a game quite like it. It has this incredibly fun spirit. Um, it's not. The, like there's nothing heavy about it it's just fun mm-hmm. um it's got that you know kind of looney tunes quality that we always feel like is associated with it you know that they right. were inspired by um all the environments were always so much fun for me again i'm using the word fun but i think they're just so spirited and lush and they remind you of environments that you've seen in picture books or something like all the, for example, all the Egyptian environments, all the, you know, tomb environments mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Crash Warped, like, immediately make me think of all the books about Egypt that I read when I was in, like, fourth grade or whatever. You know, when yeah. you're fascinated by Egypt, because everyone's always interested in it at the same time. Uh, just stuff like that that is so inspiring, and it's just a blast to go through those environments, and stuff like riding the polar bear, riding the tiger, mm-hmm. all of that is just... It's just a total joy to yeah, play. The way they change up the gameplay, essentially every level, they give you some new twist. Right. You're going sideways, you're going forward. I think one of the things I always think about is what's the hook or what's the the general, the most abstract concept, if you think about it in terms of you're familiar with games, so what does this game bring to the table? And I think what it does that's not very obvious but is really clever, especially for when it came out, was how it basically uses perspective as its gameplay hook. Because it's doing a lot of things that platformers have done. It does the side-scroller Super Mario thing. Right. It does um, moving forward in space. It does moving toward the camera, which was really innovative at the time with the famous boulder levels. Uh, And I think it just plays with the camera and the context that the camera takes within this space and this very simple concept. And it keeps thinking, like, where could we point it? How could we engage the player with it? Right. How can we force the player to consider new challenges depending on you know, how we play with those elements. So I think that's a really cool thing that you don't notice until you, uh, until you start looking for it. But yeah, I think the environments to me is just when I think about it as a kid, I think about this, oh, I get to go and play as this animal in the Australian outback that's fictionalized and is played up and elevated and stylized. And just always felt like you're, even in the simplest levels, it felt like you're just taking a brisk walk or a hike in the woods and you're just, exploring nature and just trying to get through this island and try to get to the next island right it's very simple um i think anyone can enjoy these games they, they were always my favorite i think is it's evident by the article i wrote and by this whole yeah. podcast this is both our joint 
favorite series growing up and it's i think it's aged well it's got some really great design choices not all of them age perfectly right but that's one of those things that man if they would update this one thing and release it that would just really create a great experience you know things that we have come to know and love today like you know the way that we have save systems and we have controllers without wires and we have nice tvs that are in a box and with a tube and you know the text looks really crisp there's all these like little things that man if this game had all those things together wouldn't that be a great package in the context of what is what is gaming preservation why is it a thing feels like crash is just a series that's always had all the right ingredients uh, the perfect candidate yeah exactly right so now that we've had a year to basically digest three games that we've already replayed a lot of times as the originals. Yeah. And then we've replayed them in their new form and basically gotten a chance to compare game to game, level to level, and really see the whole, re-experience the whole game like for the first time again. Um, There's a lot to talk about. And uh, I think we're just going to, you know, break it up and go into specific areas like the arts, visuals, environments, talk about the game design itself, how the game feels, and then talk about the specific changes, alterations, things they kept, things that surprised us, moments that stood out. But Crash is just, it's hard to talk about Crash without immediately going into how it looks. So uh, let's just go straight into the environments, uh, the different world themes, lighting. Uh, what what comes to mind? What, what were your favorite levels seeing recreated? Uh, what got your attention the most? Well, I think I was most excited for some of my favorite levels, particularly from Crash 3, because that's always yeah. been my favorite yeah, of, the, warped. Time traveling. of the games. Yeah, so um, I was really excited to see, you know, Arabian Nights kind of levels, as well as all the Egypt tomb levels. Mm-hmm. And they really didn't disappoint. I mean, we were just replaying them yesterday again for, you know, the umpteenth yeah. time. And, um, Partly for research, but... You know, but also just for fun. Yeah. And um, just seeing them again, it was like the lighting in these is absolutely incredible. And it's kind of like how your memory of playing it as a kid is super vivid. And then, you know, when we replay the, you know, the PS1 ones now... When we replay those now, it's like, well, these look, you know, old now. But then when we see the remake, it's like, this looks like how I remember it looking when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, it's so beautiful. It totally takes you right into the environment. The colors are super lush. The lighting is incredible. Like, I remember having dreams about those Arabian Nights levels. (laughs) They, like, really influenced my dreams a lot. And that's how my dreams looked. And Mm -hmm. so now, like, seeing them again in this totally remastered form. It's like, yeah, that's how I remember feeling in my dream about it. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. The other amazing. night when you were playing one of the daylight Arabian nights levels, it was, I remember just looking up from my computer and just having that image burn in my brain of this. It looks like crash. The old crash is there's no, sometimes you look at something so long, you immediately notice when something's wrong. Right. And it just looked so right. And the lighting was so good. The glow, the sand blowing in the air, mm-hmm. uh, the the piles of sand, piles were, of sand in the corners. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's so detailed. Like the sun bleached stone and stuff. Just all those things that your mind, uh, your mind sort of fills in the gaps as a kid. Right. There's enough detail in the old games, but yeah, then you see it 
recreated and with this re- really realistic lighting and realistic physics and weather effects. Yeah. And it's just, I just looked up and had this surreal sort of double take moment of, oh yeah, that like that frame looks exactly like the old games. And that that's happened multiple times where I watch you play like the sewer levels in Crash 2 mm-hmm. or maybe one of the water levels and just the way that they perfectly recapture the camera angle, the mm-hmm. colors, the silhouettes, the shapes. It just, it, it, they really focused a lot on on making sure that it shot you right back into the past. Right. And I think with the levels from Crash 1, you know, those look so much better than they did. Yeah. That now it feels like, I mean, I think that was the most exciting experience for both of us playing the remaster was playing Crash 1 because it's such an upgrade. I walked away feeling like the jungle theme from Crash 1, which was sort of the very basic World 1 theme, mm-hmm. it was it just took on this whole other life because that game was really visually inferior to 2 and 3. It felt like Naughty Dog got their chops right at 2 both in the way that right. Crash looked as a character, the way he stood, the way he ran, the way that uh, the environments just had more texture to them. They had more detail, more shadows. They were um, a little more complex sometimes. Yeah. And so every time we went back to one, there was always this, this one stands out in the old games. This one stands out in not a great way. It felt like, you know, they, they didn't have a joystick when that game came out. Right, right. Um, there's all there's all sorts of things that that led to one always being the inferior one of the three and also the hardest and just it stood out from the pack so much in terms of video games when it did came out right i mean i feel like it had so many brilliant ideas they just were never fully realized yeah maybe and also like they weren't yeah i think fully realized like visually they couldn't yeah they couldn't be achieved they couldn't be achieved not as a knock to naughty dog they did an excellent job with what they had well absolutely yeah but but you kind of always imagined Again, like we said, like your brain kind of filled in more of the gaps. Right, right. So yeah, Crash 1 just took on this. Playing it at first, it was just jaw-dropping to see this game will never look this good again. It's This is the definitive version of Crash right, 1, right. in my opinion. Uh, warts and all. And it just took so many levels that I used to dread and feel intimidated by. Right. And I was now, I became endeared to them. The, the really dark levels. I'm not sure what theme was. Maybe it was the the like Lost City type levels. Not the Lost City. Those are the... No, those are the um, side like outside side-scrolling ones. The I know which one you're talking about. It's Jaws like of Darkness. Jaws of Darkness, yeah, like kind of inside the castle depths sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, it was like these interior architectural caves, sort mm-hmm. of what the uh, interior tomb levels eventually grew up into in Crash 3. Right. Same kind of idea. You're in this really elaborate interior man-made cave structure type thing. Those levels always really, I was always really drawn away from them in one. I just played them once and I'm glad I don't have to play that level again. And well, then, you almost couldn't see anything in them. Yeah. And they now, were so dark. Yeah, they had to fake the darkness in the old games almost. Right. The sense that you were in this abyss. And in this game, they're able to have all these really bright, uh, fluid flame animations and everything is candlelit and there's flames inside of like statues mouths and Right, and so, like all that, all that subtle lighting that you're mentioning would really illuminate the corners of the platforms you're standing on rather than in the first game. It was like, well, there are these artificial sources of light, but they're not actually lighting anything, and I'm just sort of jumping in the dark. Yeah, 
So darkness actually felt like darkness and you could actually perceive it a little bit better. In the new one. Yeah, yes. it's like things would actually disappear into the distance. Right, so. it, made, it made physical sense. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's there's even small things like the level selection. Just going from island to island is fun. And I think because of the way the islands are in the new one, it makes it feel much more like a fluid um, storyline. So like mm. very much how like each level really leads into the next, especially on the third island where it's like you're going up to going up the castle, you know. Oh, right. To the lab where you fell out. Yeah, of. to the lab. And it like it really feels like a full journey that you go on because mm. it's so visually articulate. Whereas in the original Crash one, it's like you can tell that there's the through line and everything, but it doesn't feel as like satisfyingly thought out. Right, right. They threw this thing at the end of every level, which they talk about in the in the Engadget article quite a bit, um, how at the end of every level you get a tally of how many boxes Crash got or didn't get. And in the old one, it was just one canned animation. They would loop until you ran out of boxes that you missed. And in this one, they started to play with it. And, well, now that Crash has all this expressive animation and fur and we have all this lighting and all these physics, the boxes would get increasingly more painful as they fell on his head and he'd get increasingly more annoyed or hurt. So he's going to start, you know, instead of slouching, he's bending over and then he's on the ground and then he's covering his head. Right, right. So they talk about how that was uh, sort of a, a, a test of confidence between them and Sony and, and the whole team to show that we can embellish uh, that's one of the words they use a lot. We can embellish on uh, what Crash One was trying to do. Yeah. Do you have any? Speaking of like characters and animations, do you have any favorite bosses? You mentioned Tiny. Tiny has always been my favorite. Yep. Tiny the so tiger. So that's still a delight. I love the detail in that. What does he do in three? There's in such, three it, he has the like gladiator arena. Yes. Right. It's so good. And the lines come out of their dens. Yes. That's so good. Um. I think we agreed that the bosses in two turned out a lot like they're a lot more fully realized. Yeah. They feel like in this remake, whereas otherwise they weren't all that memorable. That was in um, two, or was I'm it? I'm not in sure one? which. I think we always agreed that three had the best bosses. Definitely, it does. and that ones were still kind of rough. I mean, they kept the boss designs exactly the same, and they, there's a lot of difficulty spikes in one. Maybe two's just got the most. Like visual cue refinement. Yeah, that might have been it. Yeah, um, I kind of love the the bosses in in one are like yeah they're up and down in terms of like roughness, but I think it was really enjoyable to see them in more detail because mm-hmm. they're always really simplified. I feel. Oh, like just because of the just because lack of the of visual, right. yeah, like obstacles mm-hmm. and the te- technological obstacles. I think Dingo Dial's a really good boss too. He's a great boss the flame for sure. Thrower with the flamethrower and the ice and the, the ice. little penguin. Anything else about the art? Do you want to move on to design? Yeah, sure. I mean, we talked a little bit about it. Uh, in terms of game design, you know, Crash is it's very sensitive about how Crash feels, how he jumps, how he moves. If you think about playing a Mario game, you'll know if Nintendo didn't make it because Mario is going to jump really weird. <laughs> Nintendo would never not make a Mario game, but if someone were to ever make a knockoff, I feel... It's like whenever you go back to Mario, it's they've they've got the jump right, right. Got the feeling, the bounce, the weight, uh, the uh, the push and pull. And Crash has his own style. He has his own feel. He flips at a certain rate. 
Uh, he does backflips. He spins. He dashes. He's got a little bit of an edge to him. That's like always a thing with crashes. Yeah, the way he moves is very specific. Mm-hmm. So in this game, they in the first crash, they actually force you to only play on the D-pad, like we said. There was no joystick at the time. So the fact that they added the joystick to this the first crash was a big deal because he didn't have that wide range of movement. That was a big uh, a big variable that kind of made Crash 1 tough at times, honestly, I feel. like The new ones? Yeah, because the levels are designed thinking you can only move in one of four directions. So when you add 360 motion, it creates all these little spots where maybe it's a little bit you think you can make the jump, but it's actually a little bit tough because... They're not expecting you to take that diagonal leap or something right, like that. Right, right. I think I remember feeling like when I was playing some of the levels in one, I would, without even thinking about it, revert back to the D-pad. And then I'd like look down at my hands and be like, oh, I've been using the D-pad because I just was used yeah. to it with Crash 1. Just subconsciously. And I know how far to go. Yeah. Tip it. for new players out there. If you try it out, you might want to play Crash 1 with the D-pad. Even if it's a little bit painful, but yeah, it definitely feels more suited to that one. Right. Um, it. Uh, it. I feel like when they introduced it in Crash Two, it definitely feels appropriate because they're asking you to make all these more acrobatic jumps and leaps. So you need to have that quick joystick reaction of um, going at this specific angle than that specific angle. I almost feel like the sewer levels in two kind of exploit the the joystick the most. Because How you have so? to jump around all those little like floating robots mm. and such, and then the yeah. the the barrels coming down, yeah, in the tubes, yeah, like those little like robots that kind of swirl down the the sewers. Yeah, they come at you at a more like organic. They come at you at like a spin, so you really have to kind of jump diagonally to avoid them. Right, you're not just oh, I have a character. You're not just jumping over. Yeah, and then you know they've they introduce animals and. I don't think they, there's no vehicles in one. There's just the hog, and the hog's just going straight. Right. So yeah. having the uh, the joystick controls and in one is a little bit harrowing with the hog because he's moving so fast. Yeah. That was one of the that was one of the more iconic levels. I feel. Yes, definitely. For sure. I mean, the music. The music is so insane. I love it. Speaking of which, that reminds me of your article and how they said that they recreated some of the music in terms of making it more dynamic because they didn't have you know they didn't have to stick to like midi or whatever you know the super low quality files of the originals right yeah so they were able to make the sounds more lush and the music more lush but then i love how they still kept some of the original sound bites because they like couldn't recreate yeah they were were so memorable they just figured we're just gonna throw these sound bites right in there but again i don't even know which ones those would be they did such a good job of making it all seamless Mm -hmm. yeah they did an excellent job so yeah so crash one only had the hog crash two had more animals with the polar bear and then they added vehicles which was the little wave rider thing and the rocket right and three they went even further and added planes and jet skis and motorcycles the tiger they went all out yeah all out. and it feels like they kind of evened it out a bit between between all three games the animals feel a little more unhinged than i remembered yes and the vehicles felt a little more reliable i would agree with those statements for sure yeah uh we always dreaded the, the one thing in three that i felt was this it always prevented it for me from seeing it as my favorite was those airplane levels right they were always 
so hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a totally different control scheme. Um, but yeah, I thought they I thought they even those out really well in three. They felt a lot more comfortable, and I actually had fun playing them. Yeah, those in the jet ski ones, which always felt like pretty like low rung levels in in the third game. Yeah. Now they feel yeah, you're right. They feel very even and it's it's not bad to play them at all. They're mm-hmm. enjoyable. Yeah, they felt more like experiments, I feel. In the uh, original. Yeah, in the original yeah, game. For sure. They 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 didn't I think they could have still felt a little better because with how vehicular games have how far they've come today and how much they were trying to do in Crash as a platformer, which is really just more about a game where you're running and jumping. Right. Suddenly you're on this uh, vehicle that is barreling forward and is auto riding and you can't stop it really. Yeah. Um, or you can in three. You can. You have just a little more control there. But they got really ambitious and I felt like they could have, they probably could have taken a little more liberties. I do feel like, yeah, I agree. Because, for example, those motorcycle levels feel pretty equally difficult to me. Yeah. They don't really feel like the motorcycle is easier to ride. They're pretty tough, especially when you start getting into time trials and whatnot. Oh, yeah. For yeah. Sure. Uh, I think the last thing with design is just the difficulty spikes that Crash is always known for. Right. Which also, I think by design, they got evened out by three. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a few levels that still, even in the remake, I think stand out in retrospect as these are so punishing. Yeah. And really unforgiving. Like one of what I think was your, or maybe still is one of your favorite levels is the bridge levels from one. Oh right? yeah. The road to nowhere and, mm-hmm. and a high road. People- Those I always really loved cause they're just super unique and it was so mysterious to be walking along a road in the clouds. Mm-hmm. I always really enjoyed that. Um, even though they were difficult in the old one for sure, but in the new one, they just feel like even more difficult. I don't know if we ever really nailed down why, but they're just so tough. I think it's a mix of the way that depth perception comes across in the remake because everything looks so realistic. Sometimes you don't land where you totally are convinced you're going to land. Right. And the jumping in Crash 1 isn't quite the same as it is in two and three because they forced him to be a little heavier, a little right. more sluggish, just to make it feel like Crash One did. Not cr- Crash One, the original Crash is kind of a tank, uh, right. and it seems like those bridge levels were the ones that were getting people to kind of rage quit. When I was seeing some of the reactions, mm-hmm. those were the ones that it seemed as though people were like, "Yeah, I'm gonna take a break from this. This is really hard all of a sudden." Uh, yeah. yeah, and the same thing happens in the dark levels where in the old games, even though the lighting was really canned and not realistic or immersive as, as it is now, it did help see where the platforms actually were. Whereas in this one, sometimes the platforms are coming in from out of the distance and you just fall. Right. So I think it's it's a mix of maybe what... That's usually because of the depth in the new ones, I feel. Yeah, there is something going on with some of the depth perception, even in those like dark cavernous levels that I now love. Yeah. Especially with the bridge levels like Road to Nowhere, it almost makes me wonder, and they, they did add a lot of quality of life changes, um, which is the last thing we'll talk about before we get into just the overall changes they made and, mm-hmm. and kind of our, our overall takeaways from this. And Sometimes I've I've actually seen in the Nintendo platformers where they'll offer some kind of not god mode but helper mode where if you can't get through a level like in one of the Donkey Kong games or one of the new Mario games 
they'll offer some feature where you know Mario's in a bubble or you're playing as a golden Donkey Kong or you're playing as a different oh, okay. cousin of Donkey Kong and he's gonna play the level for you and show right. you how to do it right and it's sort of like a pre-recorded AI thing just to get you through the level let you see it but not not let that stop you from playing the rest of the game. I think I can see why they wouldn't have added something like that, only because in two and three, you can pick what level you're entering if you're in that warp room. Mm-hmm. So if you oh, get stuck right. on one and two and three, then, sorry, one, if you get stuck on one level in two and three, then you can just kind of skip it, save it for later when you're feeling like right. a challenge and then go back to it. The only one you can't do that in is one because you need to have beaten the previous level to move on to the next one. And indeed, like that always was very, it it created a huge challenge when I would play it when I was little because it was like, well, if you can't get past this one, Mm -hmm. you just have to keep, like you said, like rage quitting until you come back to it and just kind of figure figure out your way through it. Right. But I, I can see why they wouldn't add it because then you would only add it to one. Right, that similar to how there's there's a lot of design choices that are unique to one that they had to keep in one. You can't get rid of the islands. It would have angered us, I think, as fans and too many other people to find some way to make the islands this. You select which one of five levels you want to play first and then move on to the next five. Right. The game isn't broken up in that way so neatly where there's five compartmentalized levels that have their own theme they have their own difficulty level, and then you can move on to another five levels. The islands are like a, this artifact of the way Naughty Dog was thinking in 1996 versus how they suddenly started thinking when they got to two in 1997. And they felt like, we should just allow people to skip levels whenever they want. And it's like, in getting back a little bit to what we started with, with game preservation, that's one of those things that I think most critics have uh, praised this the remake for is how much it retraces naughty dog's original thought process like these games are a recording of the evolution of their design right that naughty dog is one of the first people to consider okay we're going to offer you to have some so we're going to give the player some more agency over which level they choose and we're going to show that progression from game to game even in the way you save it still has the memory card icon and it's still right four tiles they're, they're preserving all these little details that Maybe don't make the game better by today's standards, but they um, they sort of preserve what Naughty Dog was originally going for and aren't trying to change their vision. They're well, just trying to enhance it. Yeah, I think it would have been really strange to see one changed in a drastic way like that, um, especially because I think Crash 1 is so charming in the way that you move from island to island. And like I said earlier, like it builds up you're going across. It really feels like a journey. So I think if they had changed that in any way, it would have been really upsetting. Um, and I love that that's the way they started those games. The way Naughty Dog started them is like, oh, well, we want it to be this journey through these islands. It's so creative. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that. Um, they did change some stuff, though, still. They they did update the save system so that you don't have to manually save every single time you want to save. And that was a nightmare, so... Yeah, it wasn't in the old games. They would give you... You could only save after bonus rounds. After bonus, yeah. It was awful. I mean, that prevented me from saving so many times when I was little, I remember. And they would give you this multi-digit code to enter with your 
right four to keep, buttons to if you didn't want to like save on the memory card right you would enter the code every time you started the game right yeah didn't you like have a note i had, I had a cheat code note to get you was it to beat all the levels so that then i could just play through them yeah i think that was it because i just could not save enough times to actually complete the game so i found the like cheat code to beat the entire game I don't remember how I found that. I, I don't know if it was early days of the internet or like a guidebook that I found or something. But Maybe you just beat the game and wrote down the uh, uh no, I No, I definitely did not. Uh, maybe. No. You're good. Mm, no. You're good at them. Um, <laughs> I am but, now. <laughs> yeah, but that that's it's nice. It's nice to just know that I can walk away from the game at any point and uh, it saved it for me. The, one of the other really cool things is that, especially in Crash 2, there's all these secrets for how do you get this special item so that you can unlock this other level, and they don't really tell you at all. You just stumble upon some secret path or some secret level, and you get this extra bonus item, whether it's a colored gem or a key in the first game. Oh, right, And they right. don't really spell it out. You just kind of have to keep exploring and keep pushing the game's limits. But they did this really nice thing where because the game is pretty long loading times, they throw these hints in there that are all calls to all the little secret things that you would have found in a guidebook. Right, like you're right. Mentioning. So that was cool. Those, but, for us, I feel like are nice reminders of what's going to be in the level. Because we already know all those mysteries mm-hmm. at this point. But it's helpful to remember, like, oh, yeah, this is the blue gem level. There are some good quality of life updates, like the fact that the bouncy boxes, you know, those don't take... 10 bounces anymore to get every Wumpa fruit out wait. of, which was like would take forever. And yeah, the secret warp rooms are more accessible too. Like it doesn't feel like a challenge to find them. Oh yeah. Like they used to. Yeah, well, in I think in the in the third game they give you a platform. That's right, that's right. But in 2 they just let you take the platform down in the center. So they made some just user-friendly updates, I guess, to the series that are much much welcomed. And even today, as we've been replaying it, still really nice to have things that took a little bit of getting used to and how true is this to the original. But overall, I think these are just pretty much all positive changes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Then they made some really big changes. Uh, The biggest of all is probably your favorite one. Coco. Coco Bandicoot. She's now (laughs) in all three games. And that was a huge surprise when it came out. It was one of those rumors that we were like, are they Would actually going to be more Coco? Yeah. Right. That was your one your one request. I want more Coco. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And they they found so many great ways to incorporate her because she's so smart and she's a tech wizard, and she comes into Crash Three when there's all this time travel stuff going on. Yeah. So they found this way to put her in all three games where she's using this time machine to go back to help her brother Crash. Right. Complete all of his challenges, and so there's all these little points in Crash One and Two where she comes in and kind of has her little entrance and it's all perfectly explained. Like they perfectly, it's one of the most amazing retcons (laughs) I think I've ever seen. Yeah. So how do you feel about? It's great. Sometimes I forget to do it because I just sort Mm -hmm. of start playing and then Mm -hmm. uh, forget to like switch in and out. But um, yeah, I love playing as her. I love that she moves exactly the same way as Crash does. So you don't, there's no like learning curve with it. And Mm -hmm. she, you know, in Crash 3, she does all the same extra moves um her own little flair to them yeah i mean she's got her own flair for sure i love how she spins a little bit differently than he does it's like a little bit faster it's and kind of a spin kick 
Yeah, it's intense. I like it. That's great. Same with the belly flops a little bit different. The idle animations. Idle animations are amazing. Yes, they're so good. Selfies, like phone explodes. Yeah. If it explodes near a TNT box, that explodes too. Right. All these little great details. And when she's typing on her laptop, it's like very elaborate. She like cracks her knuckles and gets ready to type. Yeah, she was always one of my favorite parts. Uh, One of the last things about maybe the originals that I really always loved was in 2, which from the originals was always my favorite, was how the, the villain, Cortex, and Coco as this side hero partner character every few levels they're coming in and giving you this their opinion on how you're doing and it's not just you're playing the game well or you're playing the game really badly it's like you get their they're sort of expressing their frustration or confidence in Crash right and it's pushing you along and also moving the story along in a similar but different way from how Crash 1 pushes you along through the islands it's like this little narrative element where there's it's always fun to see the end boss present throughout the whole game taunting you. Yes. And using the game's world to incorporate them in a way that feels believable. And I loved how you'd sometimes get Cortex and then suddenly Coco would interrupt his feed and it just shows how good of a hacker she is and builds her character up. So yeah, they found like a perfect way to incorporate that. Yeah, another good addition, things that we see in so many games that are contemporary games that we kind of take for granted that are really fun to have for Crash now. Stuff like being able to watch other people do speed runs mm-hmm. um, is just super fun. Um, and then stuff like achievements, we were really looking forward to because we played the game so many times. Like, what else can we do? Oh, well, if there were achievements, we could surely get all of those. Yeah, after all the crazy stuff that we found out you can do in the games, you'd figure... There's got to be some way to keep track of all this. Right, and, exactly. And, and reward the player and let them know, like, yeah, you know you know this game. Yeah, you know this game inside and out kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, and, you know, speaking of speedruns, I mean, they built speedruns basically into Crash 3 from the ground up when Naughty Dog made it. And they decided to bring those over into the remake. Right. And not only put them in 3, but put them in all three games, 1, 2, and 3, uh, to... Um, both great and not great success sometimes. Yeah. Um, they do feel most at home in three. And that was always one of the things that we would go back to is three would always call us back. Cause there's always that one level that you want to get a better time, better time trial. On. And they have all yeah. the special powers. You have all these different ways to push the game to like, how can I get over this one chasm a little faster or avoid dealing with this enemy? Uh, you always love playing, uh, which one is it? Orient Express. Orient Express. Favorite favorite level, yes, definitely yes. Mine's just Turtle Woods. We'll just get that. We'll out just there. get that out of the way. Get that out of the way. Um, but yeah, so they added these time trials, and I think that kind of brings us into our our closing topic of just our overall takeaways. And I think the time trials are one of these areas where hindsight is kicking in, and we're we're looking at this with a little bit of a clear head and thinking: Did they? Did it really help the game to add? time trials to every single one right because i think at first you know we beat all the games we're like that's great and then you know we're like well now we can do all these time trials we'll have even more time trials to do than usual so it was like well great more challenges and achievements and like we'll get them all and now you know we've done every time trial Mm -hmm. so many times some of them we have not attempted more than once because they're so difficult yeah so 
they've become a little bit tedious at this point. Like sometimes we'll jump back into the games and go to do the time trials. And then after like two of them, it's like, well, I mean, this is just kind of exhausting. I don't know if I'm going to do any better, especially when you're doing ones that are in one and two, because they feel like they weren't designed for that. Yeah, it feels like I don't feel like I'm hitting as many of those yellow boxes that would stop the clock, Ugh, which is one of the best yeah, parts. Yeah, so frustrating. Is when you blast through a whole wall of yellow boxes and you just see the clock stop ticking for like a full 10 seconds and you use that to your advantage. Right. It just feels like in two and one, they definitely could have been a little more generous to make it feel like you're still working towards getting a good time. And it just feels like they've put so few of those boxes in that you really have to land them. And they're really hard because the levels are harder. So all these things compound and just make the time trials really, really demanding in one and two. Do you feel like they did that because those levels don't have that many boxes in the original Mm. levels to begin with? So they only put in, you know, they didn't want every box to be a time stopper. Right. That's a really good question. That's something I would ask the developers if I was interviewing (laughs) them again. Uh, I think sometimes I've noticed that they'll kind of... Even Naughty Dog, I think they'd sometimes just wholesale get rid of boxes and wholesale add boxes where there weren't. In the time trials? Yeah, I just think my suspicion, my gut tells me that they knew they could add this feature to all three games, add a lot of replay value, right? get it to work, get it to feel pretty good, but maybe didn't have all the time in the world to quality assurance test them to the nth degree, mm-hmm. enough to make sure that they worked and it felt like you could get the relics, you could get the different milestones, which even some of them, in my opinion, I have no idea how you get some of the like top tier platinum ones. They're just so hard in two and one. Right. I've tried, how many times have I tried some of them where it's this time I'm going to do it? And then some, like you said, some kind of unfair jump just stops you in your tracks and there's nothing you can do whereas three that doesn't happen as much right three is a little more forgiving with with making sure that the levels worked as levels and as speed run levels and two and one just they were one never designed to be that um and they i don't think they did quite enough to make sure they would have had to alter the levels in a way right. and it felt like it felt like they kind of got it 80 percent of the way there right but um i think with those the time trials in one and two that they've added, the only way for us to get a good time on them a lot of the time is to, a lot of the time, is to <laughs> watch those YouTube videos of, you know, people that have gone like bonkers trying to slow it optimize down. it and get it so perfect that they like wait a certain number of seconds to even start the level. Yeah, to trip. Like to, the, like, to trip the, you know, the clock that's there. Yeah, and or the, the enemies and, like, the routes they take. Yeah, it's so intense. Yeah. It's so over-optimized, and it's like, I don't know if I can do that. So I almost enjoy watching other people do mm-hmm. it more. And I feel like what ended up happening was we were looking for something to do with these games that we finally got. And they're right. not super long games, but we're trying to chew everything we can out of them. And it felt like there's this pressure almost to to commit to the time trials. Yeah. And so it just made it made me it degraded my opinion of one and two a little bit. Like why aren't these time trials as good as threes? And I just felt like once we went back to them recently and just said, we're just not gonna do the time trials in one and two. Yeah. <laughs> just avoid that spinning, tantalizing clock in the beginning of the levels and just play the levels like we would. And they immediately just got so much better again. Right. They're just 
fun again. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to that point, I mean, our overall takeaway, it seems, is like one, if we had any criticism, it's that less could have been more. Right. <laughs> in this in this remake. I mean, we always want more Crash. We, we were looking forward to these remakes, but I think even with these ones, um, they probably didn't have to go to add the lengths to add, add the time trials to everything, or I maybe think- at least add the option to toggle it on and off. Right, right. I think to that point also, the the less is more point is that, you know, they added Stormy mm. Ascent later. Yeah, this like hidden level from Crash 1 that was never released. Right. Yeah. And it's like so difficult and so mind bending that it probably didn't need to be recreated. I think we've we've landed on that conclusion. It's the quickest path to getting angry at something. Oh my god. I don't think I've even played it. I've only watched you play it. I only beat it once and I never went back to it. So not getting the relic on yeah, that one. I think there's a reason that level didn't make it. It's a cool it was free. It was an option, but sure. again, it's just this man, I just want to see what else this game can do. And uh, part of it is a little bit of a, you know, fan self-pressure. And part of it is yeah. just realizing, oh, I, I really don't think that this needed it. And it kind of came weird moments where it's like, this is great, but for some reason it's souring the experience. Right. Um, right when it's at its best. Like right when they're going out on top. Right, right. Um, I think also that is making me think of that they are, adding this new level when they oh, yeah. when they do these re-releases that they have created themselves. It mm-hmm. seems like it's based on the future levels in Future three. Tense. So, oh yeah, Future Tense, right. Mm-hmm. Great um, name. Great name. So I'm curious to see how that turns out. Like, I'm really excited to see a level mm-hmm. that they've made with the materials that they had, but that they're creating from scratch. Yeah, and they don't have to abide by something Naughty Dog created. Right. And they don't have to worry about angering anyone. <laughs> and it's free. <laughs> Which is cool. Yeah. yeah I'm very It's like an experiment. Well. Yeah. So if you decide to pick up the game, maybe check that free level out and let us know what you think of it. You know, I think the overall takeaway is it is what it was when we first played it, which is still that this game, it's a miracle this game even exists. Yeah. I mean, to have all three. <laughs> I think that's a great way to put it. Remade. To go from what it was to what it is. I mean, we're still going to be, this is the one we're going to boot up maybe one day we'll reboot up the old ones just to I'm see again i'm pretty curious to boot them up but i don't i'm not like craving it in the way that i crave the new ones now mm-hmm. like it's just a, such a delight and an enjoyment to play the new ones yeah it's so immediate like it's just just begging you yeah immediate gratification and it's mm-hmm. what we were asking for for so many years so i think that's why it also feels like a miracle that it exists because yeah. i mean it's basically everything we wanted and we always thought that they deserved yeah. a remake. And it, we kind of only thought, though, that we were the only people that loved them in a way. Like, no one else we know would really mm. talk about the games as much. Like, we always bring it up. Yeah. So it's like... Always pointing out new things we'd find every replay. Yeah. So to see this community that actually exists around it, like this critical mass come together and you can actually put your finger on it, it was really cool. Right. And even, yeah. like, seeing the E3 reveal, it was like, oh, my gosh, like we're going to get this thing that we've wanted and like other people are excited about this. And like this got, you know, greenlit and this got money behind it. It was like, what? Mm-hmm. It's just so exciting. All these good things. I mean, everything we said, they improved the save system. They added achievements. They made it look amazing. They, they, they made all these thoughtful changes that just made the game that much more uh, exciting to get into. So yeah, it's just everything we wanted. It, it, it brings some of Crash's warts with it. 
Um, but we got those things too, and we've got this almost perfect recreation of, of a series that we've played so much and we know in and out. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, it's just crazy. I think the the, mo- the greatest achievement of this game is somehow making one now my favorite right. instead of two. <laughs> when it used to be my favorites were two, three, and then one. And now it's one, three, two. Yeah, it's completely is, changed. I feel so bad saying that because I think two was a masterpiece when it came out. And every time I replayed those, I thought, yep, this is the best one. It's just so focused. It's so refined. It's so like pure crash at his peak Mm -hmm. and just great. And then it felt like the remake was a perfect remake of two. They remade it perfectly. Everything about it was just as I remembered. They didn't mess with anything. It's It's like like nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, they knew what it was and they didn't mess with it. And if it's not broke, don't fix it. Sure. Uh, So they did that, but it just felt like in the moon, like in the afterglow of replaying one, seeing how great one got when they did take some liberties and they got creative and they really pushed it to look like the rest and bring that cohesion. Yeah. It just felt like I just fell in love with one again. Right. And after I played it, I was, it's going to be hard to top this, but I'm sure two and three are going to blow it out of the water and they're great. They're amazing. And I think three is like was set up for success, but it just felt like I almost wanted to see more out of two. I don't know what they could have done, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. What are your favorites? I think it's three. My favorites have remained the same because three is still my favorite. I think it just, you know, they basically like super enhanced it. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's just supercharged, supercharged. It's so, it's so excellent. Um, It's got all my favorite environments and they just look as like as amazing as can be, you know, even mm-hmm. I mentioned some of the other ones, but also like the toad villages, you know, the, yeah, the opening levels, the medieval the opening ones. levels, the, um, the a, future a, levels just, yeah. It's a globe trotting game. Yeah. It's and I think over. you're right. It sets it up for success. Like there's no way it's not going to look awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then one, like you said, has been so like drastically updated that it, is so great now it really shines for how the new game how yeah it feels like oh yeah this is totally brilliant Mm -hmm. um it was just waiting to be loved right fully loved (laughs) and embraced unconditionally right exactly and then patient with one two has always been um not definitely my least favorite um i think the environments just don't excite me as much and the level structures aren't as interesting to me for whatever reason Hmm. um yeah i don't know they just and they're also super difficult i still feel like two is the hardest it is it's so difficult like those snow levels are brutal Mm -hmm. like and and in contrast like i'll go try the high road i mean that one's really hard yeah (laughs) or i'll go try like slippery climb because like i love the environment Mm -hmm. even though it's so hard but all the levels in two and like the rocket levels, those end future levels. Yeah, those science levels are Yeah, those science levels are brutal and they're not that fun for me. Mm. Um, But I think two looks great in this recreation. Mm -hmm. Just still remains my least favorite. Feels great. The warp rooms are great. Yeah, totally. You know, all those nice reflections in the ice are beautiful. Oh, yeah. The water levels look great. The The, the turtle woods, you know, that's great. The turtle woods. Polar's really cute. Sure. Still great. There's so many great elements that two introduced and just took all the ideas 
similar to what Alex said in the last episode where he felt that you know Resident Evil 2 is a perfect sequel and that it takes everything the first game did and just improves upon it. Right. That's how I always felt about 2. Right. From a design perspective, just the options, the challenges they throw at you, um, all really brilliant, really masterfully done. But even in hindsight now, I'm looking at the games as they were, and there's things even in like the first level that I'm thinking, man, these, this is really a lot to throw at the player up front. Even those little yeah. pit, those pits you fall in where the yeah. camera looks down, um, the ice levels right up front. You're dealing with those slippery so hard. surfaces where you can't control your speed and momentum and angle as much. It They really throw a lot at you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really shocked. that and That's still my takeaway is... I always go to one first if I want to just yeah. mess around and see what I can do and see what I can find. I guess my final thought would be, I mean, we've already said how much we love them. Um, I'm really interested to see, A, if they're going to end up doing CTR. Ooh. Or... Crash Team Racing. Yeah, which is still a blast. We still play that also. Um, would love to see yeah. that uh, redone. Uh, with some new textures in there. Yeah. Um, but that, and then also I'm curious to see if this new level that they've created is successful, and if so, if they're going to make a new game. Mm, like if, if this will be a model. If this will be a model for them to make their own Crash game, if, right. you know, if Naughty Dog would indeed give their blessing for that kind of thing. Um, I don't think anyone really wants to see those other Crash games remade. There yeah. are people who do. Oh, really? I've I've done enough You've research found them on the to discover that there is yeah, and that somewhere on the dark web there are <laughs> polls and uh, Reddit <laughs> threads that indicate that some people would like to see those remade. But mm. it's just I didn't play all of them. I played enough of them, saw enough of them to realize that it's just Naughty Dog was onto something. There's something magical about those first three games. Yes. they're a complete package. They left this permanent stamp on what was expected of video games. Today, Naughty Dog is still a studio that sets standards. Mm-hmm. Crash set a standard. It mm-hmm. was going right up against games like Mario 64 and Sonic Adventure, games that were all trying to do their take on 3D. And to this day, you know, it, it was recently cited um, in an interview with Jason Rubin that Crash still outsold Mario 64. Really? It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it was really successful. It had great international appeal. It really just, it did something. It just got to the heart of some gamers and got people into games. Mm -hmm. And it's it's great that people who maybe grew up now and want to pass it on, or maybe people who want to show someone that, you know, they're raising now or someone that they know, hey, this is a game I used to play. And it looks like something that they would appeal to them. them. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean... You know, I think if anything, if Vicarious Visions gets the go-ahead and has the uh, has the inspiration to maybe make some kind of official Crash 4, I think they've earned the right based on what they've done. And I hope that they look at the, if anything, I hope that they look at the, uh, the path that Naughty Dog has taken all the way from Crash to the Uncharted series, which we're going to talk about one of those in an upcoming episode and the last of us and all those things. And just think about their spirit and their approach to game design. And I'd love to see what they could do when, when the doors are wide open and they Mm -hmm. have all this technology and, and they've created the crash that we remember and, uh, done something new with him. Yes. Slight, done something slightly new with him. 
I don't know if that statement makes sense. <laughs> I'm just going to cut this somewhere. I don't know. Music in this episode was composed by Josh Mansell for the original Crash Bandicoot trilogy and reproduced by Justin Joyner for the Insane trilogy. Thanks for listening to episode two of Screen Looking. Coincidentally, the next game we're going to be discussing is by Naughty Dog, the original creators of Crash Bandicoot, and that's going to be the epilogue to their Uncharted series, The Lost Legacy. Hillary and I, uh, we ended up passing the controller back and forth throughout the entire game, and uh, we loved it. Uh, There was a lot that caught our attention, and we actually have yet to talk about it in full detail ourselves, so we're going to save that for our next episode, and we hope you'll join us for it. If you did enjoy this episode, uh, we'd appreciate if you could subscribe, share it with a friend, share it on social media. Uh, Best of all, if you could leave us a review on the iTunes store or in the podcast app, that would help us definitely get in front of more people and also let us know how we're doing. So yeah, I look forward to the next episode. We're not sure on a definitive timeline for it, but again, we'll be talking about a game from the Uncharted series, the most recent one, The Lost Legacy. And uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to that as well. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Is that Italian? No, Bandicoot. It's an Australian name.